welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads? Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up, it's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the new show on the Nerd Party where we take a look at all of the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I am John. And today we're going to be taking a look at the movies released on January 21st, 1994. Yes. There were three movies released this day. One of them was Car 54, Where Are You? Yes. I watched the trailer for all three of these movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you, have you seen Car 54, Where Are You? Uh, no, I haven't, because you may remember last week, I was like, yuck, 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 I'm going to do Car 54, Where Are You? I made it through Cabin Boy, I could make it through this. And I mentioned it to, and I promised you through this whole show, you're going to hear me refer to my friend Joey all the time. And I said to him, I said, oh yeah, Car 54, Where Are You? I was thinking of doing it. And he actually said no. No, don't. He said, you, you have no idea how bad this movie is. And he went into some of the gags and he said, those were the funny moments. I said, those were the funny moments. He said, yes, do not watch. He goes, I'm begging you, please don't watch that movie. I said, oh, okay, if you feel that strongly about it, I, I will steer clear. Yeah, I watched the trailer and it looked epically bad. Epically. Yeah, apparently it had been shelved. It had been done and shelved for at least a year or two according to to something I, I, I read. So yeah, this was January and they, they were like, okay, well we got to release it at some point. So now, and they, this was just, they dumped it real fast knowing that it was going to bomb. Well, there you go then. There's only, it, there seems to be a thing. I mean, I know that like slapstick humor is evergreen and everything like that, but it seemed to be a much bigger thing. In the 90s. I mean, we've got another Mm. movie next week, which uh, I think is rather noteworthy in the genre. And I just don't get it. I never got it. I don't get it. Well, I think that it's just the sort of the Three Stooges effect. I think that you see, you know, it gets weaker over time, like stuff reverberates and then the, the echo sort of gets more and more distant. And I think that the 90s just saw a lot of resurgence of that 50s television type of stuff that kids sitting at home in the late 70s and early 80s were consuming and you know in syndication and it becomes just a foregone conclusion especially when the you know the IP holder is like well we got to put something out you know for whatever reason copyright or they want to make a, a quick buck or something like that and so it's never it's never born of an altruistic urge, it seems. But uh, yeah, they just want to capitalize on that IP, and there you go. Mm. Well, another movie that came out this week was Golden Gate. Have yes. you seen this movie? I have not. I made an effort to rent it because it seemed interesting. Because Matt Dillon and Joan Chen are in it, and I was like, oh, well, those are those are two actors I like, but I could not uh, get a. The only thing I could find possible to rent was a uh, one of those double DVDs, two movies for the price of one sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't guarantee delivery until like weeks from now. So I might still see it, but just not in time for this. Yeah, I uh, 
have started looking ahead, you know, a few weeks just to kind of keep an eye on the movies that I really want to see that may not be available to stream so that I can find, you know, like a Mm -hmm. used copy on Amazon or something like that and order it well in advance so that I have it. Yeah. Uh, But I I, I saw the trailer for this and I was like, ooh, that's intriguing. Uh, You know, it it seemed like kind of a noir thing taking place in like maybe the 50s or something like that in San Francisco. And it it seemed like a cool movie, but uh, I didn't watch it. So I guess that means that we both watched the same movie, which came out actually two days prior on Wednesday, January 26th, 1994. And that is Blink. Blink. Yes. This is a movie which has uh, another movie with some really good pedigree, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah, it does. It does. It had the uh, the it girl of the moment. One of them. Uh, Madeline Stowe. Yeah. Uh, still riding. A pleasure to see. Uh, terrific actress. Movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huge. And her big breakthrough, at least from my perspective, was Last of the Mohicans, which was 92. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she was and, in Shortcuts, yep. I think, in 93, mm-hmm. uh, which was a pretty cool movie. Have you seen yeah. Shortcuts? I haven't, but I do know. I, I mean, I just know that Madeline Stowe, her trajectory, she was on the rise at this time. So it made sense for her to be headlining a thriller type of movie, mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, with a pretty interesting premise, really. Yeah. You know, bl- blind person gets their sight back, but their sight works in an odd, you know, it's a very movie sort of thing. Well, a side effect of this is, mm-hmm. you, you know, sometimes you don't see it immediately. Your brain takes time to process it. It's a neat concept. Yeah. Yeah. This movie, it was directed by Michael Apted, who that's the reason why I picked this one. He's directed, I mean, a number, he's directed a billion movies. You know, he directed one of those Narnia things. He did uh, the, the the World is Not Enough, which is a, oh. a great Bond movie. It is a Bond movie. That's true. Yeah. He directed two movies that came out, I believe, in the span of a week. Um, one a small movie and one a pretty big movie, both of them begin, beginning with the letters E-N, which I always thought was so bizarre. That was like the most they had in common. Enigma and Enough came out. Oh, I remember the ads for Enough. Enough was the Jennifer Lopez one, right? Yep. And yeah, because she decides she's had enough. Mm-hmm. And so she, yeah, like in the, the like the, that was one of those ones where the trailer basically didn't play any sort of like hide and seek with you. It was like, look, she's going to learn how to fight and then kick his ass. Okay. Yeah. And that's basically what it was, but it, it worked really well. Um, and also interesting, I guess, I think this is how it worked. Like the, the title I think came from an Amy Mann song. There's oh. an Amy Mann song called Enough, which they play in the in the movie. Oh, cool. Um, but it wasn't written for the movie. It was actually written for another movie. It was written for The Human Stain. And Really? Yeah, there's there's an uh an Amy an entire album that Amy Mann did, which is about a boxer. And as I understand it, basically they were going to Magnolia, The Human Stain. 
and score it all with Amy Mann music. And wow. she wrote all this music. And then they're like, uh, nah. And hmm. then she's like, okay. So she released the album. But like the song was, was one of the things I'm pretty sure... I want to say it was actually in the movie before the album came out. I was a huge Amy Mann fan at the time, and I remember going to see this movie at 600 North Michigan, and I remember that song, and I don't remember much else about it, but I remember liking it a lot. I'm just fascinated because this is the first time I've ever had a conversation in recent memory where the human stain was brought up Mm. uh, because I know I was one of about 10 people that saw it. Yeah. And... uh, it's a Nicholas Meyer movie. It is. And it's it's one of those it's one of those movies where it's it was fascinating to me specifically because I didn't have a strong reaction one way or the other. It was one of those ones where I was like I don't hate this and I don't love it and it's okay, but I remember the big reveal at the end being very oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it was one of those things where it was just like it was supposed to be sort of a big emotional punch in the face, like, oh my gosh, it's been this. Mm-hmm. And my reaction to it was, oh, yeah. So. Yeah, I I saw that movie. I don't know. I don't think it was like the world premiere, but it was the Chicago premiere at the Chicago International Film Festival. I believe it was the opening night movie that year. And um, yeah, it was, I, I, I liked it a lot. Uh, you're right, Nicholas Meyer wrote the script. I think that was the one where he talks about in, I think in the uh, in the book, The View from the Bridge, that like he really, really wanted to direct it. He's like, I know how to direct this movie. This would be great if I were to direct it. And they're like, no. And then <laughs> he didn't like really like the final product or something along those lines. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, it it really was. I do think it was something where the material was right. The acting talent was there. Uh, and it was actually Wentworth Miller was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. he was he was really good yeah. in that. And it, it was just it was just something didn't gel. Something just didn't quite do it in that one. Yeah. Wentworth Miller. Did you ever see the movie Stoker? No. Which also has Nicole Kidman in it. Oh, no kidding. See, the thing is, I I really like Wentworth Miller because I did watch uh, the first season of Prison Break. Yeah. And I was a big fan of that show. I I don't know what happened with the second season on that because it it went, it made a left turn and just lost me real quick. But I'm pretty sure they broke out of another prison. I think that was. uh, They they broke out. No, but they broke out. And then I think the second season was like them on the run. And then the third season, they got put back in prison or something. And it's like. Out again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Stoker is a little, I mean, you would like it. It's a little weird indie, like, horror movie thing. Okay. Um, And it's directed by uh, Chan-Wook Park. Yeah, it stars uh, with a girl from the Alice in Wonderland movies and the guy who plays Ozymandias and Watchmen and then Nicole Kidman. And it's this kind of like thriller about, you know, like this girl and her like stepdad is whatever, you know, like it's like one of those weird sort of like mystery horror things. And uh, it's really good. The editing in it is really, really fascinating. But it was written by Wentworth Miller. No kidding. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. (laughs) So strange. I'm I'm curious. 
yeah, yeah de- it definitely is worthwhile. I, I think that you would like it a lot. Um, okay. I'm just knowing your sort of uh, tendencies towards horror movies and all that good stuff. I'm uh, I'm writing it down right now, actually. Okay. I've, all I've right. pulled out cool. the pencil, the mechanical pencil, <laughs> and uh, writing it down right now. There we go. Excellent. That's Excellent. a win. Yeah. All right. So Michael Apted, he did all those things. Um, he also is probably in the world of film best known for the Seven Up series. Have you seen these? No. Oh, oh my God. The I'm sure I'm sure as soon series. as I start describing it, you'll be like, oh yeah, but if not, I'm about to blow your mind. Okay. Okay. So basically, um, back in like the fifties. Yeah. He did a little documentary about seven kids from different backgrounds in, um, in uh, or maybe it was more than seven kids. Uh, yeah, but they were all seven-year-olds, and they were from okay. different backgrounds in you know, the UK and stuff like that. And basically, it was like people from different social classes and everything, and they're like, let's put these kids together, these seven-year-olds together, and see how they interact with each other. Oh, wow. Then, seven years later, they were like, let's see what they're up to now. Now they're 14. Let's see what they're up to now. Then, seven years later, they're like, oh, they're 21. Let's see what they're up to now. And I don't know why they stopped, but the last one that they did was 56 Up, where they looked at all of these same people when they were 56 years old. And the series is amazing. It's considered to be like one of like the the crowning achievements in the history of cinema, because basically, what he has done is followed these people and their lives from little children, like kindergartners, all the way up through, you know, almost their senior years. It's insane. That's. That is crazy. And I, here I was impressed with Linklater with Boyhood. Yeah. And he's got nothing on that. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know why they stopped. The last one that they did was 56 Up. And at no point were they like, oh, we're going to stop. I mean, he said, like, I'm going to keep on doing them forever. And, and you know, like sometimes like the, the subjects would drop out. Like there's some where they're like, you know, I'm not doing that anymore. There's some where they left and then came back. There's somewhere they're like, I'm, I'll come back for one more thing because I want to promote this charity, you, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that, you yeah. know, but, but there's some, they just stuck with it the whole time. It's really, really interesting. And it's oh. not like these people are friends or anything like that. You know, they've spread out across the globe and just seeing how their lives changed, you know, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, some people are like, it's just, you know, reality TV. It's nothing for, but I don't know. I think it's absolutely fascinating myself. That does sound fascinating. I'm going to, okay. The the pencil has danced again. I've written down seven up series. So excellent. excellent. This isn't fair. You're giving me even more homework than, <laughs> than the show calls for. Yeah, it's not well. fair, Mike. Come on. So, so he, he's, he's the director of this thing. Now the writer is someone who's near and dear to our hearts and probably no one else's. <laughs> <laughs> you know where I'm going with this? Please, by all means, go ahead. So it was written by Dana <laughs> Stevens. It's her very first movie. Mm. And she also wrote For Love of the Game. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that is that is to be commended because that is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. It's, and it's uh, it's the one thing that makes me keep hanging in there to uh, to get keep giving baseball a try, no matter what. Yeah, that is that is such a magnificent film. Oh, now you're making me want to see it again. Yeah, I that know, is, right. What a film that is. It's great. What it's a great. wonderful film that is. And you know, I mean, other people behind the scenes, Dante Spinati. I mean, you talk about uh, yeah, Last of the Mohicans. I mean, there yeah. you go, cinematographer of Last of the mm-hmm. Mohicans, as well as basically all of other all of Michael Mann's other movies. You know, so yeah, um, lots of lots of cool people working on this movie. And the thing which I didn't even know until it started up, but it takes place in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a pleasant surprise because, I mean, anytime you see your city, you're like, hey, that's cool. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, it was cool to see, like, 1994 Chicago because, like, as far as uh, the the authenticity is concerned, like, this one was pretty authentic. It's it's right up there with, you know, The Fugitive and stuff like that, just a year after The Fugitive, too. And I think yeah. it does a really good job of showcasing the city, especially, like, the north side. There's a lot of stuff up in, like, the Wrigleyville area and actually at Wrigley Field itself. You know, as soon as I saw them sitting on that rooftop, I'm like, they're going to pan up and see this stadium. And sure enough, they did. I'm like, uh, you can't do that anymore, by the way, because they built like a giant wall so that those uh, buildings cannot sell their, you know, whatever, because the Cubs, you know. What? Seriously? Oh, yeah. You can't. Oh, that's bogus. Oh, yeah. That takes some of the charm away. That's stupid. Mm -hmm. Why would you do that? Because, Because everyone who bought those buildings was selling premium tickets to watch the games and they wanted so don't don't build the wall get in on it yeah like partner with people what that's i swear it's the cubs you know what i should be running major league sports teams i would do it right yeah Yeah. you should too both of us we should we should scrounge up some couch change and buy one of those teams and do it right yeah i mean they also had this scene at the i guess it would be the united center at that point with michael jordan <laughs> yeah, seeing Michael Jordan in action. Yeah. It's like, boy, you're really rooting this to a time. Or or you thought Michael Jordan was going to be playing for 300 years. But yeah. Okay. I think he's, I mean, even today, people are like, well, that's Michael Jordan, you know? That's I mean, true. Come on. That's true. And I mean, it's Michael Jordan playing himself in a movie. So I guess that means it takes place in Space Jam continuity, right? Makes or the sense. other way around. Because no. this one came out first. Yes, so Space Jam is in this is in blink is continuity. in blink continuity. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it works. And um, I, the, there was just I mean like the, the, even even in terms of like the like the addresses that they gave and stuff like that, like it's all pretty damn accurate. And my absolute favorite thing was uh, <laughs> there was one shot towards the end of the movie where Aiden Quinn is on a cell phone or, or is on a, not a cell phone a payphone and yeah. in the background you can see just like a, a neighborhood and that neighborhood is kind of like where I hung out like during college and in the oh, background cool. you can actually see the Century Mall which is where they have the the landmark Century Center which uh, was where uh, when the nerd party came to Chicago we all met up 
I I watched I I watched a movie in that building with <laughs> Lee Hutchison. That's so nice. that was pretty cool, you know. And, and what the coolest thing about it was like this is the building before there was even a movie theater in there. Like and like you could see there was like an electronic store which is now like a donut shop and everything like that. But I'm like <laughs> I remember when it was an electronic store, you know. It, it was pretty great. There's was just that one shot. I, I, I took a picture of it. I'm going to send it to you. But yeah. I just, I just got to say, I got to say, one of the, the true joys uh, of watching any movie that has Chicago in it is getting the history lesson, but also just I, I am, I'm always overjoyed uh, talking about Chicago with you simply because you have such an innate knowledge and love of your, your hometown that it is just a delight. And it's also, as we're sitting here talking about it, I notice we're talking about everything except pretty much the content of the movie, which I wonder, does that say something in and of itself? It's almost like we're dancing around the whole thing, like, well, I don't know. I guess here's the thing about it. Like, I really liked the characters, and I really liked the whole thing of, like, this woman who you know, was blind now getting her vision back and sort of like going through that like experience. Like I loved all that stuff. I mean, the whole thing is it's sort of like the setup for this thriller. And Mm -hmm. the thing that I didn't care about at all was the thriller aspect, you know? Yes. Same here. But there's something that I realized, something that I couldn't quite put my finger on, because we've talked about this, about movies of the era was Hollywood saying something about itself sort of thing. I suddenly realized as I was watching it, you know what this movie and other movies like it were released in the wake of? Basic Instinct. Mm -hmm. So there is, and I I don't know whether I want to call it the Esther House effect (laughs) or the Verhoeven effect, or maybe the Esther House effect. The Esther House effect is correct. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Esther House effect, where... I saw the sex scenes in this movie and my reaction wasn't titillation. It wasn't curiosity. It was repulsion because it looked like somebody said, hey, we, we got to do this guys. We got no choice. It actually looked like they forced them into these scenes. And I actually, I wanted to run on screen and throw a blanket on them and be like, guys, cut it out, cut it out. We don't need this. We don't need this P- completely pointless. Doesn't actually add anything to anything. And it was sort of at that moment that I realized, Oh my gosh, this is exactly what basic instinct did to movies, especially any movie having to do with like a cop thriller sort of thing. Because there are so many, so many things that both the doctor, the red herring doctor, who played actually the Roman guard in Seventh Seal. Did you ever see that? Not Seventh Seal, Seventh Sign. Sorry, Seventh Seal is Ingmar Bergman. Seventh Sign, uh, which was Jurgen Prochnow played Jesus come back and he's breaking the seals and Demi Moore is going to give birth to a baby and the Hall of Soul. You never saw this? No. I've heard it's of it. It's a good movie. Never seen it. It's a good it. movie. It's worth seeing. I'm going to give you something to okay, watch. Okay, I'm writing it down it, right now. Yeah. Trust me. You haven't lived until you've experienced Jurgen Prochnow as Jesus. It's a pretty trippy sort of thing. It really is. Okay. Um, but uh, the, uh, 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 the, the doctor and Aiden Quinn's cop, the ethical problems with the way they conduct their professional lives. Yeah, yeah. Even... Even had I seen this in 1994, 
I would have had my arms crossed in the theater saying, you know, this seems like something somebody could be fired over. Yeah. Hitting on your patient at the elevator seems like something that doesn't quite, I don't know. There seems like even back then there would have been policies against it. Even like the whole thing where, I mean, this sort of goes back to like last week too, but like, I mean, it's one thing to, to, to be like hitting on your patient, right? Like that's, that's, that's a line which shouldn't be mm-hmm. crossed, right? But once that, that line is, is crossed and your patient rejects you, then to be like, I'm the one who gave you this vision. Yes. <laughs> that sure seems creepy, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, um. And yeah. Uh, or the cop investigating the case of the serial killer coming after you is, you know, I mean, and never mind the fact that he manhandles her in the in the restroom. Yeah. And he's like, I'll, oh, you mean nothing to me. Like, it's a very... It's a very sort of thing you expect to see in like a theater production because mm-hmm. you know that theater, they, they, they do things very big. They're trying to connect with the audience. Film is a much more intimate space and you can't get away with the same sort of theater staging that you can on film because it seems much more harsh and violent than it does when you're watching it from this sort of like bird's eye godlike view. Like you're right up in that space when he's got her in the bathroom and it's like intellectually I can understand why they're staging it that way and how it would have played if I were in a theater audience is much different than when I'm right up in their grill and that's happening like that's very claustrophobic and freaky and it doesn't translate well at all but yeah ethical problems abound for sure Uh, I I mean with with all of this being said I think it still was a like I would classify it as a good movie I I would say that it is easily the best movie I've watched so far from 1994. Yes. Yes it is. Not the highest bar, but it is it is um It's the first one I would consider to be good. Yeah, you know, uh, like it, pretty good. I'll give it a pretty good. Yeah, I mean I'm not at all thrilled by it, but I'm just like that was yeah, that, that, that was yeah that, there was a lot of good stuff in there there was a lot of dumb i mean like i couldn't care less about the the, the killer thing you know or anything oh, like no, that no that was so terribly done but uh, well no 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 you know what that's an overstatement it's not that it was terribly done it's that the killer plot line actually would have benefited from subtracting the sex scenes because there would have been more time to develop it outside of glowering face you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. See, like, I, you know, this is like something which I miss from this era. The, the you know, the Esther House effect, the erotic thriller <laughs> thing. Like, yes. I, I was always a big fan of those movies. I mean, especially if they're well done, which, you know, this perhaps is not that. But, like, you look at stuff like Wild Things or whatever, and it's like, oh, man, this movie's great. You know, so I kind of, I kind of miss that now. And... Uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that it was done tremendously well here, but, you know, the, you know, erotic thriller of the 90s is, I think, like a valid genre which has gone away and I, and I miss it. I don't know if I miss it so much as it was, you know, even 
if you're like, I, I struggle for anything that approaches an intelligent analogy, but as I usually do, but like, it's sort of like somebody you don't hang out like somebody in your circle who you don't necessarily like, but then like when they move out of town, the nature, like I'm agreeing with you basically where it's like, I don't necessarily like that person, but they're part of, they're part of the Venn diagram. And when they're gone, you kind of things are different. Yeah. Yeah, You're kind of like, Oh yeah, it's not quite the same as it was. It was cool to talk to him for like five minutes, but you know, I didn't like really (laughs) hanging out with him. Like when I saw him like outside of the comic book store, I was like, Hey man, and there was that right. one time where we had that conversation about the sixth sense, and like that was cool. And like, I really yes. wonder what he <laughs> thinks about glass, but not enough <laughs> to pick up the phone and give him a call. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yes. There you go. So there you go. So, requiem for the erotic thriller. <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe that's what it was, but uh, yeah, I, I do I do miss that genre, and I don't know. There's something about like the fact that we're going into most of these movies blind, like you know, with intersection. I'm like, maybe this will be one of those, and it wasn't, you know, or maybe it thought it was, but it didn't do Try- a good job. <laughs> well, know? even that one tried to sex it up. I guess you know? so, but it it, it 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 was not successful in any. <laughs> No, no, it was not. Yeah. But, and, but and it you know did what the try. weird thing about all this is? Like, I've never seen Basic Instinct. Really? Yeah, I've never seen like it, Disclosure. I've never seen Fatal okay. Attraction. Okay. I've never now, seen Showgirls. Okay. All right. <laughs> let me take you through a tour here. I've never seen Fatal Attraction. Okay. I was too young to see it. Basic Instinct uh, snuck a watch on videotape simply because everybody was like, oh, Basic Instinct, Basic Instinct. Yeah. And I saw it and I was like, not what so yeah Ugh, whatever um showgirls is a fascinating train wreck that's what it i is, hear it is one of those things where you watch it and you want to stop watching it but there's that little lizard part of your brain that's thinking no you gotta you gotta make it through this you gotta make it um and that what was the what was the fourth one it was uh, uh a disclosure Disclosure is very good. Okay. Disclosure is very good because, like any great writer, what Crichton did was he took what was just becoming like an acknowledged social issue, which was, you know, sexual harassment, people starting to recognize that it existed, and he flipped the roles so that, like science fiction does, you're forced to ask that question where you're like, oh, that's wrong. You can't do that. Okay. So flip it back to, the male and female are in the positions you expect. What are you saying? Yeah. And like, it, it's a really terrifically constructed film. So of those four see disclosure. Okay. But I'll the other that. ones, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Wild things is always my go-to, which I mean, it is that, but at the same time, I think one of the reasons why it's so successful is because it is, I mean, it's satire, you know, and it's well, just, extremely just, uh, funny. Just to uh, get ahead of you here, I'm starting to write down wild things you've, because I haven't seen you've that. You've never seen no. wild things? Never seen it. Oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> and, you know, like it has this reputation of just being, you know, nothing but just this titillating thing that you would see on Cinemax because they've had like four sequels, like four direct-to-video sequels, which are that. But the first movie, I mean, it was directed by John McNaughton, Columbia College grad John McNaughton, who did, you know, like Henry Porch of a Serial Killer and stuff like that. It, yeah. And it is so 
smart and so funny and so great. And the twists and the turns are so amazing. I love it. I love every single minute of it. It has, I mean, okay, Nick Fury at the end of Iron Man. Yeah, okay, that's the greatest credit cookie of all time. You can't top that because of what that did and just whatever. But Wild Things, second greatest credit cookies ever. Okay. Hands down. And Bill Murray in that movie, hilarious. Hilarious. I didn't know know Bill Murray was in it. Well, there you go. That, there you go. That's the magic. See, nobody said before you that Bill Murray was in it. That would have gotten me to see it before now. Wild Things is a masterpiece. Um, and that's kind of like always sort of like what I think of. That's my go-to. But I don't even necessarily know if that counts because it's not like like these other ones are like so serious and everything. And this is just not that at all. It's just like, yeah. I, I don't know. That okay. and I mean the other one, which again maybe doesn't count because there's some genre bending and everything. Because you know, it's it's the it's the art house version of this, but Eyes Wide Shut, of course, is a masterpiece. Your your crusade continues. <laughs> your crusade continues. Listen, and I I completely cop to the fact that I've seen it once. Oh, and I I hated it so much. And like that's why I haven't gone back. Yes, I'll eventually go back to it, but it, it's one of those things. It's on Netflix. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, okay. Blink. Um, I, I would say it's decent. It sounds like I, I liked it a bit more than you did. I think so. Um, but I, I would say it's the best movie we've seen so far, personally. Also true. Okay. Also true. It, it seems I, I've gone from... Starting the year with uh, almost reprehensibly bad to, eh, to, yeah, this is pretty good. So there's forward progress as we're clearing January here. And uh, so that'll take us to next week, which will bring us into February. Yeah. And there's uh, six movies this this coming week, which is a kind of exciting. Yeah. For February 4th, we have Silent Tongue. Fior, 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 sure. Okay, that sounds right. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Little movie people have heard of. I'll do anything. Which is a Nick Nolte movie, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Directed by James L. Brooks. Yes, well, that's that's definitely a front runner right there. My father, the hero. Which, Gerard Depardieu, yes, isn't it? And yes, his daughter is um, Catherine Heigl. Like, oh, I didn't know that. Like okay, fourteen-year-old Catherine Heigl or something. Oh, no kidding. And okay. uh, directed by Steve Miner. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. And Romeo oh. is bleeding, which I have seen. Cool. Which I have seen. So lots of movies to choose from next week. Uh, a number of, of things. I, I've actually been going back and forth on what, what I want to watch because I haven't seen any of them. And a few of them are movies which, if they had come out, if I had been around watching movies in 1994 and those movies had come out, I'd probably go see two or three of those. You haven't seen Ace Ventura Pet Detective? No. 
the only reason that stuns me is because that was literally one of those movies where you could not escape conversation of it for like, I, I mean, that's the movie that made Jim Carrey a huge oh, star. No, I know. And I was like, like I'm never going to see, I, I had two actors who I was never going to watch a movie of theirs ever. One, because I thought they were incredibly bad. And the other, because she was such a big star that I just thought it was cool that I could say I'd never seen one of her movies. And those two people were Jim Carrey, which the streak ended with Batman Forever, because of course. Of course it did, yeah. And Sandra Bullock. Um, Really? Yeah, I was just like, I'm not going to watch any Sandra Bullock movies because everyone keeps talking about Sandra Bullock. And for whatever reason, I was just like, I'm not going to do it. And then my aunt is like, I rented this movie Speed. Do you want to uh, watch it? And I'm like, well, it's either that or go home and do homework. So, yeah. God forgive me. I, I know that I make so many Simpsons references in my life, but you know the Simpsons reference to Speed, don't you? Uh, where, where they're they're all standing around having their donuts, and Homer's sitting there talking to them. He goes, "I saw this movie, and it was about a bus whose speed couldn't fall below fifty five. And if the speed of the bus fell below this certain speed, it would blow up. I think it was called the bus that couldn't slow down." Yeah, okay, I, I do remember hearing about that. Yeah, <laughs> every time I, I, every time somebody mentions speed, that is the moment that pops into my brain. Yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, well, we're going to get to take a look at Speed later on this year. Yes, which I did see in the theater. Oh, I remember cool. seeing that cool. in the theater. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as 94 picks up, there will be more and more that I saw in the theater and uh, will either be revisiting or I will happily share uh, stories of seeing it in the theater. Yeah, and there's very few that I've seen in the theater, but uh, I'll share those stories too. So Cool, cool. All right. Well, in the meantime, John, where can people find you on the internet? Well, gosh, uh, I'm Kessel Junkie, K E S S E L J U N K I E, out there in the uh, you know Twitter, Letterboxd, Goodreads. Uh, you can find me right here on the network, co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with Matthew Rushing, and uh, outside of that, you know, just look for me. I, I write the occasional film review for Set the Tape. Uh, which is a lot of fun. I just did a review of Speed Kills, starring John, Travol- John Travolta. So, uh, is it better yeah. or worse than Speed? I can authoritatively say that it's worse than Speed. Okay, that's cool. Authoritatively, <laughs> I invite you to read the full review. All right. Um, yeah, and uh, I'll be writing a review of uh, Cold Pursuit for them as well, the hmm. new Liam Neeson movie. Looking forward out. to that so, one. I hear that it is the best of the Liam Neeson action movies. Uh, I can tell you that the source material it's based on has me extremely excited about it because it's based on a Stellan Skarsgård movie while he stars in it um, in order of disappearance. Have you ever seen that? No, I want to. Surprisingly good. It's on Netflix right now, I think. Okay. So check it. Yeah, check it out. You can, you can, you can stream it and it's, it's so it's going to be so weird to see, you know, to talk about Cold Pursuit because, like, the Norwegian movie is so inherently, like, it, the Norwegian culture is in it, right? That 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 northern culture is in there, and um, to see it become Americanized is going to be fascinating because, like, the whole time I'm watching in Cold Pursuit, 
or I'm sorry, in order of disappearance, I'm thinking in what way is Cold Pursuit going to action this up? Like I'm watching scenes and I'm like, okay, I know how they're going to approach this one. I know, no, okay, I know what they're going to do here. And say, and I want to see if my predictions were, were correct. But all that aside, uh, Mike, where can people find you uh, to bug you about our opinions on Blink? Uh, you can find me on uh, filmdamagepod.com doing a show called Film Damage where we take a look at movies from the perspective of the booth. And for the next few months, you can also find me on Trek FM doing a show called Tracks from the Edge where we provide audio commentary for new episodes of Star Trek Discovery. So that's cool. And you can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. Nice. So, yeah, I guess that's it for January. And we will be back in February to take a look at some more 1994 movies. But until then, be kind, rewind. Rewind.